I invite you to bow with me as we pray. Lord, we just thank you again for this time to be in your house to worship. We're so grateful that you have led us here this morning, that as we hear your words, that we would open our hearts and our minds and our souls and be open to receive what you would give us, but then to be urged to go forth and do. Be with us, for it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. I invite you to join with me as I read, or if you'd like to listen. Hear these words. Now when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I read a story several years ago about a man named John who was a product of the Jesus movement in the 60s. And for those of you who may not have seen the movie The Jesus Revolution, it's still out there and I would encourage you to go see it. it it's a great movie and it talks about the, the fanning of the flame of the Holy Spirit and, and what a lot of young people did to join the Jesus movement. But anyway, John had been introduced to the Jesus movement and he began to study the New Testament. And he met Christ in a dramatic way. And somebody pointed him to the book of Acts and said, start here. And he did, and he was excited about what he was reading. And then somebody pointed him to a church to go to, and when he went, he actually left that church very disillusioned. He said it was a very polite, and it was a very tidy service, and that was over at exactly the right time. He said John looked at some of the people around him at the end of the service, and he said, when are y'all going to do the stuff? And they said, what stuff? He said, you know, the stuff. When are y'all going to do the stuff? So he had been reading about all the conversions and the healings and the deliverance and other miracles that took place in the early church as recorded in the book of Acts. And he said something very poignant, though. He said, instead of seeing signs and wonders, he said, I saw, saw no sign of anything that would make me wonder except the deadness of the ritual that I just set through. I like the writings of Paul. I like all the writings of the, the New Testament. But in particular, there are a couple places in Paul that touch my heart. Acts is one of them. Another one I want to tell you about is, is 1 Corinthians 15, 6. And I love that because several years ago, I was blessed before they closed the borders to be able to do a revival in Russia. And the one scripture that those people hung their hats on was 1 Corinthians 15, 6, where it says, and it names a few of the disciples, and over 500 people together saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. Now we talked all day to those people about Christ, but what impressed them was 500 people. Now I can see a car wreck and tell you about it, 
Charlie can see the same car wreck and tell you something different. Some of you would see it. But if 500 people testify to what they saw, you're going to believe them. So that was good. The other Paul writing that I really love is Acts. Now, a lot of churches don't celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost was May 28th of this year. That's 50 days after Easter. It's 50 days after the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And I got to thinking about Pentecost this week and where our church currently sits as a church, as individuals. Tim left well over a year ago. Gary came in and did a wonderful job of filling in for the past year. And we're looking forward to the coming of Justin and his family in just two weeks. But where are we as a church? Are we preparing for what we can do? And are we ready to do all is available to make this church grow and take off? So I was led to the book of Acts. Acts, when I read those scriptures and think about revival, we don't see as many revivals as we used to anymore, but I hope there's a lot of personal revival going on in your life, if not in the life of the churches. And I'm learning every time I go to this particular set of scriptures that uh, I'm seeing again that signs and wonders were not expectations and they weren't exceptions, but they were the norm for the church of that day. Healings and supernatural happenings were expected and they occurred regularly. Now, some people try to explain that away by saying, well, you know, we were living in a different dispensation and the age of, of miracles is over. That was for a specific time and a specific place to authenticate the message of the apostles. But we don't, we don't see that today, really. Do you realize if we say that, that we're saying that God divides history up into little segments and he acts one way at one time and he acts another way at another time? If so, then, what we read in Hebrews 13.8 where it says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever is not true. If God does respond differently at different times in, in the life of this world, then he is one kind of God at one point in history and he's another kind of God at another point in history. I think we as a church today need to discover that, that we have an unchanging God and an unchanging kingdom and we need once again to discover the power of the spirit that was, disposed, it was um, bestowed on each of us at Pentecost. Now don't get too excited here, but y'all, we need to become a Pentecostal church. Now, I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about an Acts 2 church. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be operating with the gifts of the Spirit. We need to see people's lives turned around in this world today. And we need to see people healed physically, emotionally, uh, relationally, socially, and spiritually. We need to experience the unity of the Holy Spirit as they did in the early church. We need to be living in a time of genuine love for each other, not just, how are you today? Oh, I'm good, and pass on. We need to love those around us. And when we fail to love people around us, folks, we need to seek reconciliation. 
See, we the people of God need to rise up once again and be the church that he has called us to be. Now, Rick Cherkoff uh, is a friend of mine. I've been acquainted with him for, for some years. He was a pastor at Germantown United Methodist Church. And he preached a sermon one time, and I got the notes from him, that I keep in a file and I reread occasionally. And I think this morning they are very important to what we're talking about. Here's what, here's what Rick said. When God sends forth the Spirit, amazing things happen. Barriers are broken. Communities are formed. Opposites are reconciled. Unity is established. Disease is cured. Addiction is broken. Cities are renewed. Races are reconciled. Hope is established. People are blessed. And church happens. Today the Spirit of God is present and we're going to have church. So be ready. Get ready. God is up to something. Discouraged folks, cheer up. Dishonest folks, fess up. Sour folks, sweeten up. Closed folks, open up. Gossipers, shut up. Con <laughs> conflicted folks, make up. Sleeping folks, wake up. Lukewarm folks, fire up. Dry bones, shake up. And pew potatoes, stand up. And he ended it by saying, but most of all, Christ the Savior of all the world should be lifted up. Now see, if that's going to happen not only in our church, but in other churches, there are certain conditions that have to be met. We need a major paradigm shift, and that's a word that a lot of people don't understand. But paradigms, I, I fully grasped the meaning of the word paradigm when I was in seminary, um, studying to get certified in pastoral counseling. But we were told a story about a man who got on a train in Chicago one Sunday morning. He got on the L, which is the elevated um, train subways above ground and he came in and he sat down he had three kids with him one was about seven one five and one three and when he sat down on the train he just put his head in his hands and started looking down and his kids started just running around and they were making noise and they were just being kids but he wasn't paying attention to him and these two little old ladies across from him kept looking at those kids and frowning, and they were looking at each other. And one of them said to the other, this is ridiculous. This man ought to be controlling his kids. This is ridiculous. So she reached over, and she said, sir. He didn't answer. He kept his head in his hands, bowed. She said, sir. He said, he said oh, excuse me. Can I help you? She said, you need to be controlling your kids. They're going wild, and you're here, and you don't even care. And he looked at her, and he said, excuse me. He said, but we just left the hospital where their mother died, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Now, that's a paradigm shift. We have to understand where people are in their life before we can have compassion. Where do we need a paradigm shift in the church today, the church? We need to learn that... that Christian life is not about keeping rules, but it's about knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. One of the good things about um, going away to, to school and to seminary, and I went to Emory University, Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, I got to meet people from all over. and got to bond with people that I'm still friends with and we share a lot. And I had a friend that told a story about when he was growing up when he went to church, he said, I heard a lot about being nice and 
I heard how important it was to be a good person. He said, I was always told to be kind and to love everyone. And if, he said, if there was an opportunity to meet Christ or even an altar call, he said, you know, I don't, I don't remember that happening that often. As a matter of fact, he said, I didn't come to know the Lord until I was a junior in high school when my chemistry teacher led me to Jesus. And he said, now our pastor was a good guy. He was a Christian man, he said, but like the congregation that we attended, his faith had become privatized. It was a church where everybody dressed their best and everybody acted their best on Sunday and the service was predictable and it was formal. Now don't get me wrong, he said the Bible was read and he said the pastor said all the right things, but he said there was just no passion, none whatsoever. He said the words of the responsive readings were meaningful, but they just seemed like they came from another time and another place. He said, much of the service never connected with the people in the church. He said, exact, exciting is not exactly how you would describe the service in my home church. He said, nobody ever gave a testimony. He said, certainly no one raised their hands or clapped during a sermon. And he said, you would never, nobody would ever think to say amen. And he said, as far as I knew, from my upbringing, Christianity was about the rules and being a good person. And he said, I was taught that if God, if you loved God, you did it quietly and you never spoke about it. Any of that sound familiar? See, in churches all across the United States today, the gospel of being good and feeling good is being preached. In some places, um, it's, it's being translated now as becoming politically active for social causes, or at a minimum, at least being concerned. In other per places, the, the uh, measure of a person's Christianity is about how tolerant or how inclusive you are and acceptance of other people and their ideas. But I want to tell you this. Until we renew our commitment to preaching that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, we will not experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's just not going to happen. We won't know the zeal of the early church. And until the people who call themselves the people of God renew our commitment to knowing Christ on a daily basis and living faithfully for him, we will not experience the power of Pentecost. Until we, as individuals, live up to that repentance and faith, we will always just be going through the motions of religion without knowing the person of Jesus Christ. See, as long as we think Christianity is something that we do, we're missing the point. It's not about what we do, but, what God, but it's about what God does in us. Being a Christian is not doing the right thing or believing the right doctrines. It's knowing the right person. It's not about being a member of a church or reciting creeds. It's not about baptism or communion, although those are very important parts of our, the tenets of our faith and of our life together here. But it's about me surrendering my life and my body and my mind and my heart to Christ Jesus and asking him to take up residence inside me. It's about confessing my sin and turning it 
over to him. It's about banking everything that I have and I am on God and loving God with my whole heart. You see, the Christian faith is not a feeling. It's a reality. It's a real relationship with a real person, Jesus Christ. Christianity is about the most wonderful and the most powerful person in the universe who desires to know you intimately. He wants to know the person next to you, but he wants to know you intimately. And, and young people, I want to tell you this. You especially wants to know. I don't know if you've ever heard this say, but said before, but God has no grandchildren. You have to become a child of God on your own and listen and watch what he would have you to do. If we let it, this experience is not tame. It's wild and it's powerful. As Paul told us in 3rd Philippians 3.10, he said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The Christian life is not just about salvation. It's about transformation. And there's so many churches which are differently, maybe from the one that you grow up in, and they preach faithfully about salvation and the necessary for rebirth. In fact, you probably hear that every Sunday in a lot of churches. Different scriptures, but the same thing. You need to be born again. And that is good as far as it goes, and it's a necessary first step. But if our faith only consists of a single event that we can point to where we repented of our sins and came to Christ, it's an incomplete faith. What if a baby was born and we all celebrated the new life because we love babies? But what if the baby never took in nourishment and was never nurtured and never grew and never developed as wonderful as that birth was, that baby would never survive. And pediatricians call that failure to thrive. How many of us go about our Christian life and we're failing to thrive in the love that God has given us and the leadership he has shown us? If you think that being a Christian is only about being born again, I want you to think again. It's not just about salvation. It's about transformation. To hear some people talk, you would think that when we give our lives to Christ, that's it. So all we do is we walk around and wait for Jesus' return or us to meet him in heaven, right? We're just putting our time in until Jesus takes us home or he comes back for us. If that's the way you think, you will never experience the power of the Holy Spirit, ever. You will never understand that as we prayed this morning, that Jesus came to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we're just agents through, him, through he, whom he works through to make this happen. We're supposed to grow in holiness. We're supposed to be the salt and light in a tasteless and a dark world. We're to become transformed on a daily basis. We need to wake up every morning as we pray and say, Lord, transform me today. Let others see you through me. Help me to be the disciple you want me to be, the spiritual leader that you want me to be. It's at that point that we become agents of transformation in the world. I liken it to this. You know, you can take 10 gallons of gasoline and you can throw a match on it and what happens? You get a great explosion, energy, just by dropping that lighted match on it. And it makes a dramatic one-time impact. 
But there's another way to release that energy of that gasoline in it. You put it in a new car that's designed to get 30, 35 miles to the gallon, and you go a long ways. Explosions may be spectacular, but the sustained control burn has staying power. See, we don't want to be a flash in the pan and burn out. We want to make a difference in this world and in the lives of those that we encounter over a long period of time. We want to last for the long haul. Uh, we don't want the Holy Spirit just to save us for heaven. We want him to use us and transform our lives to do good in the world today. The kingdom, as I said, is here today with us. And to be a member of his kingdom, you have to have the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life every day, every day. Um, Revelations 14, 12, John said this, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. I think there's a lot of apathy in churches today. I believe that. I think a lot of us get into that routine, and I'll put myself into that mode too. But see, we have to overcome apathy with zeal. Uh, you just can't try to be good and think you're a Christian. You cannot just point to one past experience of being born again and think you're a Christian. See, we have to grow and we have to be transformed into the image of Christ. We have to want to be made like him. You can't be apathetic toward the things of God and his kingdom and experience the Pentecostal power that he gave to each of us through the Holy Spirit. We have to be delivered from the bondages of sin and we have to be in, ushered into the kingdom where there's freedom. And we talked about freedom in Christ last week, didn't we? About how he provides a perfect freedom for us. We need to delight in the things of God. Because here's what I do know for me personally, and I believe that you would, I would hope you would feel the same way. See, the more I know God, the more I love him and the more excited I'm about being in his kingdom. And the more you love him, the more you want other people to love him and know him. And the more you experience his presence and his power, the more of it you want. This is the way we have to live. We need to remember every day that we have been forgiven. We've, we've inherited eternal life. And we've experienced his eternal love. And we're holding nothing back about this life that we've discovered through him. And because of this, we should be excited excited and willing and able and ready to serve God and invite people to this church that we're heading into a new phase in our church and y'all just need to come because we're on fire here for the Lord and we have the Holy Spirit that moves freely through our system. Columnist for the Atlantic Monthly, Jonathan Roche, who was a, he was a um, longtime atheist, he coined a phrase years ago called apathyism or apathetic theism. And he said, I've learned after interviewing hundreds of people, it's not that they don't believe in God anymore. He said, the majority of people in churches will tell you they believe in God. And on the whole, he said, they put a lot of thought into it and effort into their faith. He said, but most of them are just looking for comfort and reassurance, not for a God who asked them to do anything. So, he coined the term apathyism, which he defined as a disinclination to care 
all that much about one's own religion and even stronger disinclination to care about other people's. There's another Christian writer, David Brooks, and he coined a phrase that I love. And I think it's very evident in our churches and our society today. He called it flexidoxy or flexible beliefs. And he said it's the type of religion that is, um, has drawn many young people, educated people, into the different churches today, he said, as something that is the antithesis of orthodoxy. Basically, he said, flexidoxy means that people are looking for and they want to find a church and they want to find a, re a religion that offers them a giant smorgasbord. And they can pick and they can choose the beliefs that most suit their thinking. And they become the center of their own faith and they adapt to it as to what they see as important. We see that in the world today. Now, 20 years ago, I know some of you weren't here, but 20 years ago, those of you who are probably remember the story of Aaron Ralston. I'm going to remind you of his story. Aaron Ralston was a uh, mountain climber. And he was climbing in the Utah Canyonlands National Park in Blue John Canyon. And something happened, and an 800-pound boulder pinned his right arm. And he couldn't get out. Now, he was an experienced climber. He had climbed over 49 peaks, over 14,000 feet in Colorado, Utah, and Wyoming. And he sat there with his arm pinned. And he could not do anything but think about that he was going to die on the mountain. And he said maybe the family would find his body and maybe they wouldn't. Now, he was a former engineer for Intel, and he, had, he was an avid outdoorsman, and he, he thought about his options. He woke up on the morning of the fifth day after praying all night and decided he had to get out of there. And he rigged a tourniquet out of his belt. And he took his own pocket knife and he cut his arm off right below his elbow. But he was free. And he, cl he climbed down the mountain and he was found by the Utah Public Safety helicopter that was looking for him. And he survived. Now what the media did not tell you about that, he was a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Carnegie Mellon University. And he credits his faith to God for doing what he had to do. See, he was a deeply committed, committed Christian. He played the piano in his home church. But he was willing to cut away everything that was holding him back to be able to live. And it's only that kind of experience and commitment that will enable us to have full power of the Pentecostal power and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, when you're willing to cut away everything that's holding you back and you walk out of that canyon of bondage, then the Holy Spirit will come to you in new ways and you will know a life that you did not know was possible. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1, he said, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Did you hear that? The sin that hinders our progress. Strip it away. And let us run with endurance the race that God has put before us. 
I'm going back to Philippians, third chapter, verses 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul said this, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to be taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to leave you with this challenge this morning. I pray that you receive the Holy Spirit, that you invite him into your heart every day, that you listen to the Spirit and you do what he would have you do. Let him lead you on a personal revival. Run the race that God has put before you with endurance and make a difference in his kingdom here on earth and especially here at Bursa Church. You know, if we do this, I can assure you that as we go forward, this sanctuary would not hold everybody that wants to come to hear about Christ Jesus. Because as he sees Christ through you, he will know what's happening here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.